You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. It's an honor to be with you guys, and uh, thank you so much, uh, Joe, for your friendship and for your partnership in the gospel, uh, obviously in this part of the country, but also uh, in the epicenter. And uh, we just had a, such a joyful time here on uh, Friday night. You know, I, 9-11 is, uh, has so many horrible memories, of course, uh, for us in Washington, D.C., obviously for you here in the Northeast Corridor and, uh, and in Pennsylvania. And yet, and yet, I believe in many ways 9-11 was a wake-up call to the church. I'm not sure all the churches has yet woken up. Uh, some of you may still feel a little, you know, you know, like I haven't woken up this morning yet. But no, uh, this is a wake-up call to say, look, God loves the Muslim people. He loves the people of the Middle East. The people, he loves Osama bin Laden and Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. He loves these men and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for them. They are enemies of the cross, but so are we. And uh, all the people that they are trying to reach with their anti-gospel, with their message of bad news, of evil, of hatred, of violence, of radicalism, of jihad, we have a responsibility to go reach the same people with the good news. It's the same gospel that liberates and transforms through the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the cross. And if we fail to reach the Muslim world with the good news, to give every person on this planet moderate Muslim, radical Muslim, Jew, anyone else in that region, but particularly Muslims in this moment, I just want to say, we are going to fail ourselves. We saw what happened eight years ago when we got blindsided by an evil we didn't even understand. And if we do not go on offense, spiritually speaking, uh, we will be hit again and again and again, and we will have no excuse. We've got to take the good news. But the great news is that more Jews and more Muslims, including radical Muslims, terrorists, are coming to faith in Jesus Christ in these last few years, eight years, and ever in 14 centuries of Islam. Now, on that note, I want you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 38, and I want to dive right in to the word this morning because, uh, not, because again, that was a wake-up call. It was a, a, a foretaste of what type of challenges that we're going to face in the epicenter, in the Middle East, uh, and it's only the beginning, uh, as we'll see uh, in the scriptures. But um, what a joy and honor to be with you guys and to be partnering with you guys in all this, and uh, I think this is just the beginning even in, in, in what we're doing. We're going to be spending some time in the next couple of days, uh, Joe and I and our team, to pray about doing an entire epicenter conference uh, here in Philadelphia, uh, Lord willing, next summer. Uh, we'll get more information as that develops, but pray for us if you would. Ezekiel chapter 38. We're going to really plunge in now, so buckle up, tighten up. Let's get into the word. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog, 
of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. And you're thinking, all right, TiVo that for a second. What in the world are you talking about? I'm a Gog just thinking about it. What, what, you know, whoa. All right, let's, let's just take, just break those down really quickly. Gog. Gog is not a name. It's not a proper formal name of a person. Uh, you're not looking for uh, this person, Fred Gog or Dimitri Gog or Ahmed Gog. This is a title, like a pharaoh or a czar. Uh, he's described as a prince. He's described, as you go through the text, as a political leader. He's a military leader. He's building a coalition to lead an attack, you'll see in a moment. Um, in verse 10, it says that uh, he will devise an evil plan or an evil scheme. This is one of the Bible bad guys, okay? Gog. So we're not looking for a name, a person named Gog. We're looking for an emergence of a political leader uh, who's going to build a huge coalition, military and political coalition, to accomplish something evil. Now, he's from the land of Magog. You're saying, Joel, that's not helping me any, brother. Okay, Magog, when you do the historical detective work, as I've got uh, in the book Epicenter and, uh, and Inside the Revolution, as you go through that historical name and where did that trace back to, you, you come to Russia. Uh, for t- this morning's sake, I'm not going to go break it all down. Uh, all the details are there, and you don't even have to buy it. Just, you know, leave through it, check it, okay, yeah, or get it in the library. Uh, but I just want you to know that that research has been done, and it's uh, documented with uh, all extensive endnotes. So you can track that down for yourself, but it's Russia. Now, Russia and the former Soviet republics, uh, Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, there's disagreement among Bible scholars about where that territory is, but many believe that Rosh is the word that is the derivation for Russia. Meshach, there's disagreement, but many, not all, Bible scholars believe that Meshach is the city of Moscow and that Tubal is the city of Tobolsk on the Tubal River in the oil-rich Siberian region in Russia. So the preponderance of the evidence, as far as I can tell, is that this is Russia, and you've got a Russian leader emerging who's going to be a political leader, a coalition builder, a military leader, and an evil one at that. Now, what's interesting is the coalition that he built. Now, I want to continue to TiVo this for a moment and just flip the page, if it's a page flipper in your Bible, uh, verse uh, 16 Okay, I want to cut to the chase for a moment just to give us the proper context. You, uh, God, the God of the Bible, is speaking to Gog, the Russian leader. And he's saying, you will come up against my people Israel. Okay, so now we know the focus of the attack, right? Uh, and we know by definition, Israel has to have been a country again. Because in the context, watch, you will come against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. And it shall come about... When? In the last days. Okay? So this is definitely an end times prophecy. This is part of the last days scenario. When I was here several years ago, we talked about, are we living in the last days? And we went through Matthew chapter 24 and all the indicators, wars, rumors of wars, persecution, earthquakes, all these other indicators. And we were like, check, 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 check. Yes, we are, in fact, living in the last days. Well, this is a last days prophecy, and it indicates that Israel has to be a country again in the last days. 
Other scriptures indicate that Israel will be scattered right after the Messiah comes and is rejected and the temple is destroyed and the uh, city of Jerusalem is destroyed and the Jews are scattered everywhere, 70 AD. Uh, then it's, so it's not a country, but in the last days it will be a country. Okay? And lo and behold, here we are with Israel, 61 years old. So it's going to ha- come about in the last days that a Russian leader will emerge, build a huge coalition to attack Israel in the last days of history before the return of the Messiah. Okay, that's what we know so far. Let's continue back in verse 5. Verse 5, we begin to realize who will, who will be the, uh, the key uh, players, who are the key allies, coalition partners with this Russian dictator. The first one mentioned is Persia. Now, that's the easiest one for us to decipher here 2,500 years after Ezekiel wrote it. Why? Because until 1935, Persia was the official legal name of the country we now call Iran, right? So the, uh, Iran is part of the once uh, glorious Persian empire. The people consider themselves Persian. And so what's interesting here is we're looking at a Russian-Iranian alliance in the last days. Well, this is very curious, Why? Because for 2,500 years, there was no Russian-Iranian alliance. It never, ever, ever happened, ever, just in case you were missing that it never really happened. It never happened. And this was one of the verses, you know, one of the passages that people, skeptics and cynics would go, you guys don't actually believe this stuff, do you? I mean, come on. I mean, the Russians, you know, there's never been an alliance. They hate each other. The Russians occupied parts of Iran in the 19th century, even up until 1946, I believe it was, Russia occupied parts of Iran. Even in 1979, when the Islamic Revolution exploded onto the scene, I describe in this Inside the Revolution book and the film we released this week, that revolution didn't suddenly match Iran and Russia together. The Ayatollah turned against us because Iran had been an American ally up till then, but they didn't go running into the arms of the Russians at that moment. Why? Because the Soviets, the Russians, had just invaded Afghanistan in December of 1979. So the Iranians were like, whoa, Nelly, we, you know, the great Satan is uh, the United States, uh, the little Satan is Israel, and we got another Satan up there, the heathen, pagan, you know, atheist to the north. That's the Soviets, the Russians. They were not big, you know, they didn't like each other. It was only after the Iran-Iraq war in the 1980s, when the Iranians, uh, after, you know, after losing about a million people in that war, uh, then they were basically out of weapons, but they had money. The Russian empire, the Soviet empire collapsed, right? Uh, 91, 92, suddenly they had weapons and no money. It was a match made in hell. Suddenly Russia and Iran wanted and needed each other. Russia for the cash, Iran for the weapons. And that's what began to happen. It accelerated under Vladimir Putin in 2000. And when Mahmoud Ahmadinejad emerged in 2005, that relationship intensified so much that Vladimir Putin became the first Russian leader in human history to travel to the capital of Iran, Tehran, in October of 2007 to create a military alliance. Just this week... Uh, last week, say Sunday, so last week, last Monday, uh, the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, 
made an emergency trip to Moscow. For that day and for about 24 hours afterwards, it was secret. But then the news began to emerge late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning that he had been in Moscow. And while we don't know all the details yet, the early evidence appears that he was talking about the Iranian people, uh, governments, they're so close now to getting nuclear weapons. And Russia isn't so close to installing what's called the S-300 anti-aircraft missile system around those nuclear installations that the prime minister of Israel made an emergency trip to try to dissuade the leaders in Moscow. You are playing with fire. This, this alliance that you're making with Iran, you do not understand how dangerous this is. Now, in the Q&A tonight, we can get into more of that. Uh, please come. The, the service this evening will not be me preaching. You're like, oh, well, that'd be nice. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we're going to be just doing, I mean, I'll, I'll say a few introductory remarks, and then we're going to get into as many questions as we weren't able to cover on, uh, on Friday night. So I hope you'll join us for that. And we can get into more of the specifics. But it's important for you to see that this Russian-Iranian relationship is not just something that, you know, you know the Bible prophecy people go, ooh, you know, and they're trying to put together little pieces that don't seem to really connect. No, this is so real that the prime minister of Israel is treating this with urgency. Now, the next country that's mentioned in verse 5 is the country of Cush. Some of your Bibles translated Ethiopia. The Hebrew word is Cush. Uh, now, it, historically, Cush is the upper Nile region, which in the sort of strange geography of the Middle East, that means uh, southern Egypt, uh, because the Nile flows from south to north in this case. So the upper Nile region. So the country, if you pull out a map of, a, of the region today, Ethiopia is not the country that is there. It's Sudan. Now, Ethiopia may, in fact, be part of this, uh, uh, this territory, but the biblical territory that we're speaking of is Sudan. What's interesting about Sudan, of course, is it's led by a radical Islamic jihadist government that's been engaged in genocide for the last several decades. Moreover, Sudan and Iran, which never had, historically, any type of relations together, this, uh, the uh, Iranians are Shia Muslims, and the uh, Sudanese are Sunni Muslims. They didn't really have any geographical or spiritual or political connection, but they do now. They're total allies. And in fact, when Mahmoud Ahmadinejad uh, wanted to go to give a major speech to calling the Jews the children of the devil and that we're going to destroy them, where did he go to give that speech but the capital of Sudan, Khartoum? Again, no historic connection together, except there they are sitting together in the Bible right next to each other, and where are we today? The next country is Put. And you say, well, where do we put Put? Well, uh, uh, the first century historian Josephus, uh, if you go back to his writings back from 2,000 years ago, a famous Roman historian, he says that Put is ancient Libyos, what we would now call Libya. Now, ancient Libya was a larger geographic territory than the modern state, anti-Israeli state of Libya that we have today. It also included Algeria and possibly Tunisia. Didn't go as far as Morocco. And interesting, you go through this whole chapter and the next, and you never find Egypt. Hold that for a second. Algeria, a few years ago, signed a $7 billion arms deal with Moscow. The biggest 
arms deal that uh, Russia had ever negotiated with in the post-Cold War era. And now uh, Muammar Gaddafi uh, is building this close alliance with Moscow as well. Libya had that relationship in the Cold War, then it dissipated, now it's back with a vengeance. Uh, uh, Egypt. Egypt is not mentioned. You will look in vain in Ezekiel 38 and 39 for Egypt. You're thinking, Egypt? I mean, come on. Who has been more anti-Israel than Egypt going back to the Pharaoh? Right? Well, they're not there. And isn't it interesting that 30 years ago this year, just as the Ayatollah Khomeini was leading the Islamic revolution to create Iran to be the type of conditions it would have to be to go anti-Israel, the same year, Egypt signed a peace treaty with Israel. First time in 4,000 years of recorded Egyptian Jewish history, we are now in that zone, in the window of time. How long will that last? I don't know. Guess where? Guess who's meeting today? It would be Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak. It's not the warmest, coziest relationship in the world, don't get me wrong. They're not just, you know, putting back lattes and, you know, hanging out in baklava. Uh, they, they are, you know, they're, they're not big fans of each other, but there's a, there's a relationship there that's working, and they see Iran as a bigger threat than each other. I don't know how long that will last historically, but we're in that window now, and it's interesting. Now, the next country, verse 6, Gomer. Now, this is not where Gomer Pyle is from. I just want to be clear on that. As you do the historical detective work, you find out this is the country of Turkey. Interesting, because Turkey was the seat of the Islamic Caliphate, or empire, for like 400 years. And then that collapsed in the early 1920s, and they became a NATO ally eventually. A democracy, uh, pro-Israel. Israelis flocked to Turkey on vacation. But things are changing in Turkey, and uh, we can talk about that more tonight if you like. But they are uh, moving into the Russian-Iranian camp because they've, in part, because they've asked, Turkey has asked to be part of the European Union. And the EU is saying, I don't think so. Now, that's a whole other issue, should they, shouldn't they, uh, I don't mean to get into that this morning. My only point is because they are increasingly feeling rejected by Europe, which has always said, hey, come be part of us, rather than the Islamic world... But now that they've formally asked and they, seem, they are feeling rejected, they're drifting back in the other direction towards Russia and Iran. The next one is Beth Togarma, the house of Togarma. And this is the Turkic-speaking peoples that spread out from Turkey across the Caucasus and Central Asia uh, into the, what we now think of as the former Soviet republics in the Islamic world there, uh, you know, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, the Stans. These two are forming an alliance with Russia. It's called the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. A question came up on Friday about it. They are forming an alliance, this very alliance. And Iran has just applied about a year ago to formally join this military alliance led by Russia and China. Now, let me just, I'm I'm spending a little extra time on these two verses. Why? Because it's important to to see that God has given us a picture. He doesn't give us all the details of how this is going to play out in Ezekiel 38 and 39, but he gives us quite a few specifics. He says, keep your eye on those countries, those regions, and look at what we have. Now, let me be clear. 
just because Russia and Iran and Libya and Algeria and uh, Turkey and these other countries are forming an alliance right now, one that's so dangerous that Israelis are getting increasingly worried about this at the highest possible level, just because that's happening does not mean that this prophecy will necessarily come true in our lifetime. God could kick the prophetic can up the road by decades or more. But I think you can't rule out the possibility that given the convergence of things, the trajectory of things that are happening right now, that, it, that the possibility it does exist, that we could see these events come to their fulfillment in our lifetime. It's extraordinary to think that, about that. Because what will happen? It says in verse 18 that it will come about on that day when Gog, the Russian dictator, comes against the land of Israel, a country that's been reborn. By the way, Ezekiel 36 and 37 are the famous chapters that says Israel will be reborn as a country in the last days. The Jews will come back from all over the world to repopulate the Holy Land. They'll make the deserts bloom. They'll rebuild the ancient ruins. Those two chapters are the chapters that define this. And those things have happened and are happening. And those, because those things have happened, that adds to the thinking of, gosh, if Ezekiel 36 and 37 have largely come true in our lifetime, isn't it possible that these two next chapters could happen too? Wouldn't that be indicators that we are, in fact, in, smack dab in the middle of the last days? Well, now it says that Russia and Iran will move on that day against the land of Israel. And when that happens, declares the Lord God, my fury will mount up in my anger. In my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare that on that day there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep on the earth, and all, all, not some, all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains will also be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse. Every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him, Gog, on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence, disease, and with blood, I will enter into judgment with him, with Gog the Russian dictator, and I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations. And then they will know that I am the Lord. Do you see what's coming? Russia and Iran and these other countries in the last days will form an alliance. They will surround Israel. They will begin to move. And do you notice the United States coming to Israel's defense here? No. When I wrote the book Epicenter, uh, and it came out in 2006, we released it at uh, uh, the Prophecy Conference out actually in, in California at, at Pastor Chuck's congregation. Uh, that was 2006. When I was writing then, hey, watch for a time when U.S.-Israeli relations go so sour that the United States wouldn't be coming to Israel's defense. A lot of people 
even believers thought, you know, I, you know, okay, if you say so, but you know, I, I can't imagine that. Can you imagine it now? Only 4% of Israelis believe our current government in Washington is on their side. 4%. 88% believe the previous president was on their side. Just to give you a little snapshot. I'm not trying to make a partisan point. I'm trying to make a point that we're seeing this trajectory move in the direction that Scripture said it would. You don't see the United States coming to Israel's defense. You don't see the UN. You don't see uh, NATO. You don't see any ally coming to Israel's defense. You don't even see Israel coming to Israel's defense. It's not to say that there couldn't be a war between Israel and Iran ahead of Ezekiel 38. But when you actually get into the, when that, when this prophecy fully kicks in, uh, you're not going to see Israel defend herself. It's going to look like it's coming down to the last moment and a second Holocaust is, is imminent. And then God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and, uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is going to wait till the last possible second. Why? Because he's an author. He's a thriller writer. And when do you see the conclusion of a major motion picture or a novel where it ends at the beginning? It ends at the end. You're flipping those pages going, what's going to happen? How is the hero going to survive? How is the damsel in distress tied to the train tracks? You know, how is it, you know, the hero's caught in traffic. It keeps cutting back and forth, right? That's how you build drama. The, the idea that it's not, you know, your damsel in distress isn't going to be saved, isn't going to be rescued. And then at the last possible moment, that's what, that's what keeps people turning pages. This is the author and perfecter of our faith. This is the author of, of the, the number one bestseller of all time. And he's saying it's going to come down to the end. And who's going to believe that he's going to intervene? Will most Jews? Honestly, I don't think so. Will Muslims? Almost definitely not. Will most Christians? I hope so. Will you believe? Will you be preaching the gospel and saying, no, God is going to move. God is going to intervene. Will you be praying and fasting for the people of Israel? I would encourage us starting now. Because we are in these events, we seem to be moving in this direction. I'm just saying that God is going to supernaturally intervene. Why? So that he can bring judgment on the enemies of Israel, to be sure. But also so that all nations will know that he is the Lord. I would encourage you to spend some time in these two chapters today in your own private devotions, maybe as a couple, as a family. Read them through and you'll begin to see more details. One of the things you'll see is uh, so many enemy forces are killed by the Lord that it takes seven months to bury all the bodies. The Bible says it would take longer, but it will be the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky will eat many of the bodies. You'll also see that the Lord says in verse 21 of chapter 39, Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 21, the Lord says, I will set my glory among the nations and all the nations will see my judgment, which I've executed and my hand, which I've laid on them. And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord, their God from that day onward. Verse 29, I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I will have poured out my spirit 
on the house of the Lord. I'm sorry, house of, the, of Israel declares the Lord God. Let me read that again. Verse 29, I will not hide my face from them any longer, from the Jews, for I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. The God of the Bible has not given up on the Jewish people. He plans to pour out his Holy Spirit on them. He plans to open their eyes and begin to help them understand who he is and how much he loves them. And Ezekiel 38, these events, as cataclysmic, as apocalyptic as they are, will be part of the, the heart, heart's opening, eyes opening, ears opening, understanding, developing within the Jewish people. I will tell you that more Jews have come to faith in Yeshua, in Jesus as the Messiah, since 1967 than really at any other time in human history, at least since the first century. Moreover, more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus Christ in the last 30 and 40 years, and even in the last eight or nine years, than at any other time in human history. God is moving in that region, but this is just the beginning. When I ask people to say, hey, I want to get you involved in learning, praying, giving, going. That's my mantra. There's a lot of you know, strat- uh, tactics and uh, projects that can be done within those four categories, but I want to sort of sear into your heart these four strategies of response. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants you to learn, pray, give, and go. Learn. What, learn the threat of radical Islam. That's what we were doing the other night, that's what the book and the new uh, documentary film do. Uh, it, it help you, it, uh, these and other tools. We've got a new study guide for Inside the Revolution. So theoretically, you could show the DVD uh, in your home fellowship, for example, uh, or even as a whole congregation. You could watch it, and then you could begin to use the study guide as a Bible study guide to work your way through the learning process. What is the situation with radical Islam? Who are the radicals, the reformers, and the revivalists? How, and not just the bad news of how bad the radicals are, okay, but also how powerfully is God moving? Who is our God? Do, how, what scriptural evidence that we have do we have that he loves the people of Iran, the people of Iraq, the people of the, you know, the Palestinians and the Jordanians and the Lebanese and the Syrians and the Russians and others? It's in the word. It's in there. And this, what we try to do, are, we're trying to create tools to help you, you know, mine this out of the word and, and, and let it get in your heart. So you, I, we want to help you learn the threat and learn the power of our great God learn. Then we want you to get involved in praying, praying knowledgeably, faithfully, consistently for the people of Israel, for their eyes to be open, for their nation to be protected, uh, for uh, the Lord to bless them in every possible way, but also praying for non-believers, in fact, radicals, praying for the leaders of the terrorist movements, praying for the radicals that they would come to Christ. Tonight, I will tell some stories of radical Muslims that I met, terrorists in Iraq, for example, who had visions and dreams of Jesus Christ, and now they're preachers of the gospel, church planters, teaching the word verse by verse, line by line in Iraq, because people were praying for them, and God opened their hearts. We also need to be praying for Prime Minister Netanyahu. Did you know that he grew up for a while here in Philadelphia? Did you know his father was a professor at Cornell University at one point? Do you know that Netanyahu went to MIT 
He's a Northeast boy. I don't know that he came here to Calvary uh, <laughs> at the time, but did you know that he actually spoke a few years ago at uh, Bob Coy's congregation at Calvary Fort Lauderdale? I've got the video. You might want to take a night one night and just show <laughs> that video of him. The, he was not the prime minister at that moment. He was in between, you know, when I was helping him and he wasn't going anywhere, politically speaking. <laughs> but to see him at Calvary Fort Lauderdale with the dove behind him, speaking about the prophecies coming true of Israel being reborn as a country. And now he's the prime minister of Israel. Pray for him, for his family, for his team. Learn, pray, give. I want to encourage you to give financially to this church as it engages in missions work and to ministries that do effective work all over the world. And in my case, my heart obviously is for Israel and the Muslim world. The Joshua Fund is, is an option. And we encourage you to explore it if that's something on your heart. But there are obviously other ministries as well. We provide food and clothing and medical supplies and other relief aid. We've got a team on the ground in Israel right now. We're setting up four food distribution centers. This year, we've got about 400 tons of food that we've purchased and positioned in the country. We're giving it out to the poor and needy now, but also stockpiling some for a coming war. But this is just a drop in the bucket. Lord willing, we'll do five or 600 tons of food next year. But again, this is just the beginning of what needs to happen. These are just a few of the projects we're engaged in. Learn, pray, give, and go. When Pastor Joe has another opportunity to go to Israel, start praying now about the opportunity to be part of it, or to go on a short-term project. To, perhaps the Lord's calling some of you to go long-term, to serve in that part of the world. We've got to reach every person with the gospel We need to show the love of Christ. We need to share the love of Christ with every person in this region because these things are coming. When? I don't know exactly when. But look at this. In verse 7, back at 38, verse 7, God says to Gog, the leader of, uh, you know, the bad guys, he says, get ready, be prepared. Get ready. Be prepared. Now, if God says to the enemies of Israel to get ready and be prepared, what do you think he's saying to the followers of Jesus Christ. What is he saying to the church? But get ready, be prepared. You don't know how much time you have to get the good news to at least let everyone hear it in the region so they have a chance to hear, process, and respond. The time is running out. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to be on the move. So I would encourage you this morning if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to, to, to process through those strategies and see where you are. If you're not yet a person that has made that decision to receive Christ, first of all, I would ask the band to come up. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you've received Christ as your Savior. And I want to encourage you just to come right up. We're going to pray for you and give you a chance to receive Christ. I believe we're in the last days. The Bible says to watch for wars, rumors of wars, persecution, famine, earthquakes, all kinds of troubles. The rebirth of the state of Israel, Russia and Iran uh, forming an alliance. And I would submit to you that these things are happening. Check, 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 check. I can't tell you when Jesus Christ is coming back for us. But my heart's cry for you is that you'd respond to his love and grace this morning, that you would not leave this room without receiving Christ as your Savior. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Joel Rosenberg. 
If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Joel's ministry by visiting joelrosenberg.com.